Hello there and welcome to another episode of the Kids Media Club podcast. I'm your co-host Andy Williams and I'm here with Joe Redfern. Hello there, uh, I'm Joe Redfern and once again we've got Emily who's becoming a regular feature on our Kids Media Club podcast because we love chewing the fat about all things uh, that are happening across kind of Netflix and in the creator economy with her. So we thought we'd kick off today by uh, talking about Netflix. So say hello Emily and let's uh, yeah let's kick off with this week's news about from Netflix. Sure thing, thanks for having me guys. Um, as an independent media consultant, I really welcome the opportunity to talk with actual people about stuff because I'm, <laughs> I'm such a, a solo operator quite often. So um, thanks for having me back. Uh, but yeah, busy, busy week at Netflix uh, Towers. Um, and it's worth saying that all of this is, is leading into the earnings call, which is next week. I don't know if it means there'll be no news at the earnings call or they've already done all their news in advance. Um, but we'll wait and see. So a couple of things that are happening um, Knives Out 2, Glass Onion is getting a theatrical release. Now, it's not a big theatrical release, but it's definitely more than what Netflix have done before, which is a limited theatrical release. I think it's hitting about 600 cinemas in the, the US with a short window to, to Netflix. So that's, you know, I think, you know, people have, people have said that they'll never, they'll never, they'll never, uh, they'll never release um, titles theatrically. And I think, we're starting to see the thaw of that a little bit. They, you know, they had made lots of statements that said that they were quite adverse to it. But you know, they're they're seeing the at least wanting to test in, in different strategies and stuff like that. Um, in addition to that, then there's been a number of uh, announcements about their ad tier. They uh, they've announced the pricing of it. Um, it's uh, I think it's going to be four ninety nine uh, in the UK, six ninety nine dollars in the US. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be like a lower a lower tier where you pay that you pay that fee a month. You have ads, and I also think actually the like the quality that you're going to get, the quality available in that tier is going to be pretty low, like seven twenty p. Which all right, it's just, not going to be. Um... Yeah, it's not going to be HD, which is like, who doesn't watch stuff in HD these days? Uh, And my dad doesn't. Um, So maybe, I don't know. Maybe (laughs) stop password sharing with him and he can get his own Netflix account. That Uh, feels like a mistake, I think, to me. Yeah, Um, it's a bit... I mean, if you're going to be watching Netflix and it's not going to be as good quality as your phone... Um, well, maybe maybe it's a marketing tool that like you'll be like, oh, I'll just sign up and I'll give it a go and I'll get into uh, a Stranger Things and then I'll get frustrated because it looks a bit rubbish on my TV mm. and I'll, I'll trade up. The, they, the, 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 the gossip, the word on the street is that, and, and Netflix has said this definitely isn't happening, by the way, is that the introduction of the ad tier is essentially going to mean a price hike on the premium tier. Like that's what will come. Um, whether it's you know next week at the earnings, don't think so. But uh, you know it's it's in the it's in the future and and not not too far a future uh, is is what the they are thinking. Mm. Um, <laughs> so in, involved in that ad tier um, expansion has been a number of deals that Netflix have done with measurement boards because obviously you know when you're buying ads uh, when you're a, when you're a marketeer spending money on ads. You want to have it independently verified that you're getting the value for your yeah. um, money. So Netflix have announced a partnership with Nielsen in the US. Um, that, like the relationship with Nielsen, I would have observed had been a bit adversarial at one stage a few years ago. It's definitely become cozier over the last year. We've seen Netflix reference um, Nielsen's The Gauge, which is like Nielsen's Nielsen's kind of measurement of like 
where viewing is coming from in terms of linear VOD, et cetera, um, in some of their, you know, the, the statements that they've made. Um, you know, actually, the, 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 the Netflix, the pivot on Netflix content performance metrics changed, um, was it last, was it end last year or this year, to be kind of in line with the Nielsen measurements too, so minutes, minutes of content viewed. Um, yeah, there seems to have been a little bit of a, of a cozying there, which um, which is obviously now today to this to this uh, to this deal that they're doing. Obviously, uh, Netflix are, have Microsoft running the ad sales for them, uh-huh. and okay. Nielsen will be independently verifying that in the US and then in and the they signed up to U- Barb in the UK. Yeah, the UK they've signed up to Barb. Yeah, so um, and again, that's kind of from the ad tier point of view. Um, I saw it very much as an ad tier thing because it it's been yeah. reported in the press as it's. Netflix trying to play nice with the regulators in the UK, and I'm sure there's a dimension of that. But I oh, think totally. the the big push is that they need Barb to kind of support their ad tier, really. For sure, yeah. for sure. And I, I wonder what the reaction of the the other commercial broadcasters will be in terms of the the effect it has on the net value of of ads. Certainly in the UK, um, I imagine there's been some. Uh, tense conversations this week in terms of you know how they're going to compete with Netflix ad sales. Yeah, well. yeah, definitely. The ad, um, Netflix are pricing their ads pretty high. I saw though, there's been there's been a lot of comment in marketing and ad circles that, that they've been surprised at the price point. I mean, I think it makes sense because it's a premium product, but they're definitely pitching it at an ex, uh, kind of more of an expensive uh, ad. So well, it's like, kind of yeah, the basics so... negotiation: go high, and then you, you know, if you go in low, there's only one place you can go. Exactly. Go high, yeah. You got you got space. Yeah. And I did hear they're 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 going for a fairly kind of, um, you know, only five five or six ad slots an hour. So they're not they're not loading it from the off. So in terms of they're almost giving it premium ad space. Uh, yeah. A premium ad space vibe from the off, but obviously, uh, like you say, they can st- start high and come down if that doesn't work. I, I'm quite excited about the ad tier option for Netflix, partly because I think the challenge for a lot of shows on Netflix is how people discover new shows. And I think the ad tier gives them a platform to be able to control that a bit more than they can do on their own, um, on their kind of main platform. Because as I understand it, not all of the shows are going to be on, on the ad tier. So you, so you have an opportunity to window shows and to kind of and to take shows out uh and and i think with having advertising on there it also opens up space for more cross promotion of shows in a way that's slightly diff- more difficult on their kind of core platform yeah that'll be an interesting one to see i mean uh, like i know i'd spend marketing money to get my show advertised next to next to like the biggest Netflix show that's going at the at a given time for sure yeah, and then the other thing that the other thing that happened this week is they launched uh, just taking it back to the kids section. They they, they launched uh, Spirit uh, Spirit Rangers from uh, Christney, uh-huh. and this is like Christney did a did a big deal with them a number of years ago. From it, we've seen Ada Twist, Ridley Jones, um, uh, Dino Daycare was the one that was axed in the kind of great axing of twenty two, um, <laughs> uh, which was really really brutal because it sounded like a lovely show. But Spirit Rangers maintained, so it's um, it's uh, based on it's kind of like Native American Native American mythology meets PJ Masks, 
Um, and it's run by, um, you know, the creative team behind it is all really authentic and, and, the, and the voices they have behind it on the creative side writing, um, animating, everything is all really Native American, you know, like brings people from that background into the fold of, of, of a show of this, of this level. So it's been, it's been a great calling card for that. Um, the thing I found weird then on that regard is I switched on my Netflix to watch it. Uh, which is in British English because my husband can't stand listening to Thomas the Tank Engine in American. He just, it's, it's kind of, um, it's, it's, it's very triggering for him. Um, so I, we have our, our Netflix in British English, which I don't usually notice. Um, I just put on the show and the show is the show and we got Pulp Show in English, um, in British English and Spirit Rescue, Spirit Rangers was in, was in British English, which I found very strange for a Native American show, which kind of, got me thinking all over again because I do think about this periodically about whether there is that need to hyper-localize or not. So I don't know. What what do you guys, what do you guys think? That's, that's an interesting question and it comes up so much in program development. The, oh, does I, it? Yeah. You'd know. Tons. Um, so I think the assumption is that you have to default to it being transatlantic or American really. Um, even if it's even if it's an English production, um, just because that's seen to, if it's if it's very local, it's still perceived as have been an obstacle to um, international sales. Ultimately, would you agree with that, Joe? Um, I I think the tide might be turning in terms of you know this this huge trend that we see certainly across social media and and in kids in is that you know niching finding your niche is the way to to build a community and build a fandom and and you can't build a niche if you make something as generic and and almost i'd say the word bland but you know what i mean you know to to appeal to as many uh, people as possible you know certainly gen z and 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 coming down towards generation alpha kind of kids and teens of today they like their niche. They like to feel like they've got a tribe and they belong, and and we're seeing that coming through in a, you know a lot of ways through through gaming and content. So I actually think that it, it is changing a little bit. I think Bluey has done huge amounts for becoming a globally popular show, or certainly an internationally popular show that's got a you know an Australian accent and a vernacular and, and and terminology that previously would have been you know kind of edged out in favor of that American accent um I think you know we were talking about this earlier in the in the week I think when when the the local element is intrinsic to the storytelling then it, it occurs to me Emily that that's why it probably jarred with you with spirit Rangers in that why would a British English accent be you know it, Put, dubbed over content that ostensibly is about American Indians, you know, kind of native, um, native Americans. Yeah, native Americans. Yeah, no, it, that oh, was yeah. that was so. It was it's just like you know everything about the look of them, and uh, like Native Americans for kids as well. Like the kids, like that's something cool that they. I I, I was very weird. I mean, I very think nice. yeah. I mean, I think on some level, the local just means authentic, doesn't it? It just means that it kind of has. It's specific and it feels um, it feels like the right kind of way of of approaching that story. So yeah, kind of if it's a Native Americans and it's in an English accent, then it's yeah. Know, and and I think weird. that you know, that is something that is really important to kids. You ask them what they find most you know appealing about the YouTubers like Mr Beast. It is this authentic connection. They feel like they've got 
a, a real genuine connection to this person so actually if you're going to put a barrier in front of that then I can see that that is is how it might have jarred for you Emily yeah it's an interesting thing that they've done I mean I can see like I can understand particular preschoolers that you know having people that sound like them on a show whether it's U.S. or 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 a British or more kind of um a locally English accented uh, dub um, I, I often think it's it's either American or not American. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, if yeah. you think of like even Puff and Rock, right? You you guys would think Puff would find Puff and Rock closer to home because it's got Chris O'Dowd with his massive Irish accent on it. Um, you know, I do I do get I do get that there's that value of of kids feeling like feeling in their niche show, but like you know something that something somebody like that sounds like them is somebody that they're going to identify with a bit more. But I just think that there are times when you need to make the call um, that you just need to like, just need to own it, you know? And I think that's like with Bluey, I think Bluey owned it. Like Bluey was like, nah, it's Australian. Like that's who he is. Like he sounds like this and that's the whole thing. And, um, you know, I wouldn't, I would say probably when Disney plus took the series, there might've been a, a bit of research done and a bit of, you know, a couple of focus groups to see like what the, what the, what the feedback was on that. And, ultimately the choice was to kind of be brave and double down and I think there's moments where you need to do that whether it's like a call that comes from your gut because you think something like something's going to be more hysterical in an Australian accent I mean pretty much lots most things are I always find like Australians have a very fabulous intonation of just kind of that something dry about the way they deliver anything um which I really appreciate but um or it's more of a, like, like I think this is a bit more of a kind of a cultural call to be like, we've invested in this show. It is supposed to be this thing. Like, let's just let's just let's just not do the British dub on this one because. Um, yeah, I mean, I, so, sorry, sorry. Go. no, just to jump in because going back to that that niche point and finding finding your tribe, I don't. I think it almost does a disservice to um, to the other elements that play into that. You know, it it boils it down to just the accent you hear well that's that's not exactly what kids look for when they're trying to find something that they relate to and you know they might resonate with someone who doesn't sound like them but they find a point of commonality and that that is what they find that that's where they find that authenticity and that's where they find that oh you know that's someone like me or i've found my my tribe. Someone i aspire to or whatever yeah, yeah but I mean, that's I, not what, dependent on an accent yeah i mean what i find really interesting in the blue example is that you could totally um, Bluey's a kind of show that you could very easily have gone the Paw Patrol route and and they could have had kind of transatlantic American accents and it, it, it doesn't feel like that would have been kind of that there's anything inherently in the show that you would say no that's a kind of terrible decision but you're right the kind of the writing and the the way the jokes land um, you can tell that the creators that, it, that it's in their voice really and, and yeah. I think that it's very hard to it's very hard to put a kind of a value on when you're trying to justify stuff in in the kind of meeting rooms or you're kind of pitching a show. Um, but it, but it, but I think the audience can tell they can tell when the voice of the creator is kind of in sync with the the way the characters speak. I think you, you totally had that with Peppa Pig. I remember yeah. when I was at Nickelodeon and Nickelodeon did have. Uh, a, they they had a kind of a moment where they redubbed all of the Peppa Pigs in American accents. Um, oh, really? Yeah. 
but it just didn't it didn't land even in the states because daddy pig sounds very different with an american accent than it does with a dad pig yeah with a british accent um and and so that kind of and i think that does kind of stop the show from from landing a lot of the times and people kind of sometimes can't can't put their finger on exactly what's changed but when they then reverted back to the english um original english voices it was a big hit in the states i mean you've got quentin tarantino saying it's the greatest british import for 20 years <laughs> oh my god that's a good one it's, it's it is funny i think the bottom line is i think it's it is it it's a call like it's not it because i was turning it over my head and i was like oh, maybe peppa and bluey were like maybe they worked because they were like they're, they're animals right so they're not as culturally specific and then i was like but hang on a second paw patrol you know they definitely said that having that british dub kind of helped to travel a bit a bit more a bit more kind of uh successfully so you know i think it's just it's it's a call and you know but i think it yeah it, it needs to be thought thoughtfully turned over and i'm not sure they arrived at the right outcome for for spirit rangers because i think you know it's such a native american show like let it be what it is you know yeah and i think like in terms of authenticity joe something that we were talking about as well sorry it just reminds me of like this kind of idea of like like creator like you know the creator economy kind of bringing out content and having that kind of authentic angle to content and kind of you know the the accent the accent thing kind of kind of uh comes into play there a little bit as well doesn't it yeah and i think you know, you, you look at the popularity of Mr. Beast and, and the Sidemen, you know, they've built huge followings online out of this kind of very authentic, close connection that they've built between their, yeah, them as, as YouTubers and their audiences. Now, it seems crazy talking about authentic, authenticity and niches and finding your tribe when Mr. Beast has got one of the biggest channels on YouTube. But that's just a testament to the size of the, that tribe and that community that he's built. But it's it's given them such power um, uh, and power almost to not have other people making those calls that you just spoke about, Emily. You know, nobody at a studio tells Mr. Beast what to do. He He's still very much in charge of his own brand and what he does. You know, his... He, he branched out into chocolate. He launched Feastables, which, you know, is, is in every Walmart in the States, actually prompted by the fact that um, he's uh, um, he has. Um, oh, I've forgotten it. He's got he's got some issue with his digestive tract. So actually a lot of his uh, those chocolate bars were created with a view to having reduced allergens. And, yeah. You know what? He's, He's sold millions of them off the back of that because people, again, relate to him and they appreciate that level of authenticity that he's taken into his chocolate bar range. He didn't just license it to a manufacturer and, and, and send it off into stores. So, you know, that that in and of itself has such power. He's released the Beast, Mr. Beast Burger. They had 10,000 people in a queue to get a <laughs> burger when he went in to, you know, to, to serve them. Uh, and now he's building this huge studio of his own which takes him into another league in terms of this media business um yeah. you know there's another youtuber that he's friends with called mr who's the boss who did a, a tour around this studio facility that he's building and it is something that most movie studios would envy but again it's testament to the power of this community and this the you know what he's built on the back of this authenticity and, and direct connection with his community you know Again, Andy, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about, you know, 
he's hinting that, you know, if he took what he knew about content creation and community building and applied it to animation, the mind boggles at what he might achieve. Mm. I kind of feel like we've hit creator economy, like, I want to say 2.0, maybe 3.0. Like, it started off, like, and you talk about that authenticity and those axes and, you know, being your, your true self. And, like, I think back to, like, there's a name for the crew and I can't think of it but like you know there's Zoella and so, uh, Joe Suggs like Casper Lee like that whole crew who came up really authentically like on the rough ride of, of YouTube's ascendancy um, and like you say maybe the deals that they did at the time when they were like you know when they were at the height of their popularity weren't you know the most authentic or you know it, the, maybe the, the the purest expression of what authenticity could be wasn't yet known right so it's not it's not a it's it's not a it's not a criticism of what they did at the time. It's just kind of the first iteration of it was, you know, super drug boxes that were probably a bit overpriced, and and, and you know, just those those are the first steps into what this could look like. And then you kind of had the kind of the great uh, consolidation attempts by you know multi-channel networks to like like maker studios and stuff like that to like pull in like yeah we've got 10,000 creators on our roster isn't this great like and I know they, they did some investment in, in studios and stuff too um, but now you kind of have like creators which is the right place where it should be coming from really iterating them, reiterating again themselves what this could look like in a really real way that's sticking so well and I completely agree with you Joe that you know the potential of them to apply their understanding of their community and their audience to any genre if it's channeled the right way you know and, and, and like obviously and I think they get that now it's like the Sidemen releasing vodka doesn't make them vodka experts right like they, they are YouTube experts but um, you know and, and, and channeling towards let's say make, creating cartoon doesn't make them cartoon experts but like if it's channeled correctly that has real that has real potential I mean, I think what I think what they both have is that the audience relates to them in a way that they just don't relate to people on kind of traditional yeah. TV. Mm-hmm. And they relate to the audience. Yeah, totally. And and there is an element with YouTube where I think everyone watching understands that they could easily set up their own YouTube channel. So when they see side men and they see kind of everyone sharing this house, that's a that's a classic thing which I think lots of kids grow up thinking. Wouldn't it be amazing if when I grow up, I can just live with all my mates in a big house? Um, <laughs> and that's kind of what they, they can do, really. And it's, it's very relatable. I think that's a real, that's a kind of real strong part of their success, I think. And, I, you know, I think, I think you're right. You, you know, talking about Zoella, you're right. I think it, it was pretty bruising as, as, you know, Zoella and Casper Lee grew up through that because they almost, you know, the more traditional way of licensing their brands got hold of them and they thought well this is you know this is how we do it and it It didn't work again it fell foul of that that lack of authenticity that kids have this pinpoint radar to see right through you know I I still remember being in Vegas at the licensing show even a a few years ago now and and hearing a talk from um, a beauty youtuber and and I did that awful thing and of having a preconceived notion of this, you know, beautiful blonde t- 
teenager that walked onto the stage and I didn't expect her to say anything very insightful and boy how wrong I was. She sat there and she very very eloquently spoke about she knows exactly the time to post her videos because she's so across the data. She knows when most of her audience are online. They, she knows what they expect and when, how long she knows, which parts of her videos track best. And she told a story of how she'd been offered a six-figure sum to promote an electric toothbrush by some, I don't know, um, you know, big corporate. Uh, and she turned it down because she knew that her audience would see through that inauthenticity if she all of a sudden held up an electric toothbrush and said, hey, guys, this is my new favorite thing. And she turned it down. And I was absolutely blown away with how these creators, these ones that have grown up natively on YouTube, they've cut their teeth on it. They are so instinctively in tune with what their audience wants. Actually, it, 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 you can see why they don't necessarily feel the need to go to big established agencies to do these things now. That's why sidemen are doing their own vodka. It's why Mr. Beast is doing his own feastables because they know better than the people who have done this for 20 years. Because, um, and I think yeah. that's a real difference really between that first generation of vloggers and this generation. Uh, mm, my yeah. sense is that the Zoella and the, kind of the first generation of vloggers that kind of arose... They, they ended up being managed by people that took quite a kind of traditional talent management approach. Mm. Um, and yeah. I feel like Mr. Beast and Sidemen, they're sort of being managed by people that understand the world a lot better. Mm, for sure. Definitely. And it's, kind of, it's interesting though as well from the kids' point of view because it, this is an area I think Pocket Watch has kind of been in for a number of years and it's mm-hmm. it's a bit trickier when you're when you're going with younger kids for lots of reasons, you know, and I think they've, you know, they, they've done the right thing in terms of like, you know, Ryan, Ryan Kaji's like Nickelodeon show, like they haven't necessarily, you know, when it's young talent, you, you know, he just, it's a different way of channeling it but it is kind of the same, it's kind of the same thesis do you know what I mean that we can take this 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 creator who knows their audience to make you know alternative alternative content you know alternative content moments etc and um, it's just when you think about it for the old for the older kind of generation or, or, or older older folks within um the creator economy it's it's being able to tap into them as grown-ups if you know what I mean and, and their understanding of that young audience which I think is so exciting and, and like has such potential Mm. And I do, you know, I think we'll we'll see them grow and evolve as creators and people as well. It was interesting this week. I um, saw that uh, the first of the side men to become a father happened uh, in the last ten days. And after Again, a football match, I was like, yeah. "Dude, you should be here." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you know, came out of the charity soccer match. Wife gave birth, you know, he was there with the baby, the baby on his chest. But, you know, again, I think they're all also open to, to, to growing with their audience. And, and again, this is why I think, you know, at some point they'll get into kids TV because they're all going to have kids yeah. and it's going to become really important to them. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Interesting. I read just one final thought on that. I read that Mr. Beast was offered uh, something like 800 million um, dollars to to sell the Mr. Beast brand, and he uh, turned it down. Of course, he would. Why would he's gonna he? Be a billion, he's going to be the first billion dollar brand. There you go. There's the forecast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, crazy that someone would think that he might get rid of it for that amount of money. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I just yeah. 
seems crazy. Moving on from the YouTube stuff, it kind of <laughs> brought into mind what we talked about with Roblox and what the opportunities were for for brands, do you think, in kind of that space? That Are there any brands that you feel like aren't kind of moving into the Roblox space or haven't yet that there'd be a real opportunity for? That's kind of well, your, it's your area, Joe. Well, you know, I, I, going back to both chatting about Netflix, which we did at the, t- the top of the show, and, and more latterly creators, you know, it really, it would surprise me if both of those didn't move towards Roblox at some point. You know, we, we've we seen with Netflix, you mentioned um, Ridley Jones, um, Emily, you know, we saw a, a few years ago Netflix starting to seed them out onto their YouTube channels. So they went onto YouTube and they started premiering that as a funnel back into the rest of the series. It worked a treat and now it feels like Netflix have fully em- embraced YouTube as a way to, to, to premiere and, and, and debut content. There's no reason that similar things couldn't happen with Roblox, you know, I've, particularly with their um, kind of teen teen stuff. You know, you could create an area in Roblox, you could have put behind the scenes stuff you could have q and a's with you know some of the talent we know that spotify you know spotify an audio platform has created spotify island for that that exact thing you know they can run concerts they can do do things on there that can be a funnel for young people through to their main platform and i don't see why someone like netflix couldn't utilize that and leverage that and like um, going onto Roblox right now to be like, is Winx Saga not on there? Because that is so exactly. so should be on there, right? I think in ten years we'll we'll see we'll we'll see like the Mr. Beast of YouTube, or maybe it won't be Mr. Beast. Maybe it'll be like the Zoella of YouTube. You know what I mean? Like, but that first, like, in ten years from now, the first wave of original originated IP from that platform will uh. be in the landscape. I, I I can't tell you what 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 shape that will take, but. It, it has to happen, I think. Oh, what do you yeah. think, Joe? I mean, I, my, my bet for the next biggest franchise is that it will be born on Roblox. I mean, I think it's, you know, you look at Adopt Me, which has had about 30 billion visits. You know, it's ostensibly, you know, you hatch eggs, you you um, collect little animals, you grow them, you know, you feed them, you you collect your little group of, of animals. You know, they... That that's huge. I would be absolutely amazed if they hadn't already done a deal for an animated spin-off. I know for a fact they're looking at licensing because they just took a licensing person on a couple of months ago. You know, this is a brand that has 30 billion visits on um, on Roblox, and I would imagine there's a fair few kids that are now asking their parents, you know, when can I get an Adopt Me kind of, you know, shirt, duvet, duvet set. You know, it's it's so it will it will come. It will definitely come, and that would be my next big. My bet actually is that yeah. the big, the next big franchise will be born on that platform. And we saw a little bit this week with um, the the news of Kulabi being bought by Talent House. You know, so Kulabi, <laughs> everybody will know them for the clangers, but actually, where they're kind of hot right now is what they're doing Warrior. on Roblox with shows like Warrior Cats and stuff like that, and it kind of shows that you know. Yeah, I, I thought that that was it. I, that was an interesting story this week, and I, everyone was like the clangers, and you're like, no, 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 it's not the clangers. <laughs> like, just I love the clangers, personally, but it's it's not about the clangers, lads. Like, <laughs> yeah, <about> Roblox. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, t- um, Talent House are, are a tech company, um, and that's where they specialize. And they will. Uh, I mean, 
Warrior Cats. I don't know any stats on it, but I know they've got a huge online fandom already. So again, it would be crazy for them not to take that and then build it out onto Roblox. Let's finish off just with um, teen movies. We were talking about Emily, which I know is your one of your favourite favourite genres. <laughs> oh, so yeah, teen movies on Netflix. Like I know, like all that news about like ad tiers and um, subscriber numbers in the UK and. Uh, you know theatrical releases and Barb integration Niels integration it's like I know that's like kind of big but like actually the big news is um, I saw some talent move from from Netflix where Niketha Maddox um, has moved on she was really instrumental in um, the teen tween movies I don't we don't call them tweens anymore but you know the kind of movies for young people I say and that makes me sound old Um, you know she um, she had overseen um, movies like Tall Girl, um, and so I was interested to see her 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 move on. Um, I hope it doesn't mean that Netflix is moving away from their teen movie strategy because I kind of feel it's one of the things that they've done really really well that no one else has done is create um, a content melting pot for, like of traditional format content for teens and tweens. We know they're on YouTube, we know they're on Roblox, we know they're on TikTok, etc. But like just traditional format you know movies series they've done really well they kind of have teen movies that start you know you're little you can watch with your little sister because it might feature Sophia Carson it might be about you know dancing um and then that will funnel up to the never have I ever's it'll funnel up to the to the um the kissing booth it'll funnel up to the princess switch and and then that will funnel up to uh stranger things it'll funnel up to um Shadow and Bone, The Wink Saga, uh, Wednesday, the new Adam's Family spin-off coming. Um, so I think that's I think it's a really smart thing that they've done well for a long time, and I know I, I understand it to be quite intentional. Uh, teens think Netflix uh, is cool, and mm-hmm. yep. if you've ever been considered cool by a teen, you'll know how hard that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of future proofs their subscriber pipeline, basically, because then they move on up with it into their twenties and whatever. So. I hope the talent move of Nicathematics isn't indicative of any sort of implosion happening there because uh, that would seem to me to be a bad thing for for Netflix, honestly, uh, you know, and for teens, you know, in terms of having that, that kind of that space. And she's, she's gone where? Universal. So, so do, you, do you think it might be a sign that Universal have, have spotted a niche that they could own? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I, who knows? Um, she's obviously very talented, talented exec, and she, you know she she came up around at Disney and etc. So you know she's hot property. She's hot property. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. like fair play. Go go get that. Go go get that recognition. You know. Um, but it just you know in in the realm of the, the the overall Netflix content offering for young kids or for young people, I just thought it was. I was like, huh, okay, well, let's just keep an eye on that one. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, because Netflix managed to, I think, really revive that genre of teenage movies that kind of got forgotten about, I think. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, and they've done it really, really well and really successfully. So, And it's efficient, right? It's going to be efficient um, in terms of costing and stuff. So I just, just, yeah, let's watch this space. And and are there any contenders to, to come in and replace her at Netflix, do you think? I don't know. I, I couldn't say. You know, um, obviously there's there's a whole t- there's, there's got to be a whole team there that I've been putting this. It hasn't just been under the stewardship of, of, of a sole person. So mm. potentially people, you know, 
uh, you know, like the, the the backgrounds there, and obviously, like with shows like Wednesday coming out, like the, their servicing of the teen audience or yeah isn't isn't coming off the boil, obviously. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think we'll, we we just need to wait and see. But it's something they've done really well, and I just yeah I, I don't know I'm just a bit twitchy from the year it's like oh, don't implode you know we've just had a few of those happen <laughs> amongst the streamers so I just get twitchy when I start seeing people moving be interesting to see what she does at, at Universal I wonder if there's anything coming through for kind of Gabby's dollhouse and and the uh, the actress that plays Gabby <laughs> yeah yeah who knows um, let's wait and see definitely want to keep an eye on Okay, I think um, I think we've kind of we've covered covered all of the news that's fit to print in, uh, in kids media this week. Um, thanks very much for joining us again, Emily. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to speak to people. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening in. We'll we'll be back again soon. Thank you, mate. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please hit the subscribe button uh, and leave us a nice review. Thanks very much. Bye.